What is up? You're watching week two. We had week one, then we had week 1.5. Now we're into week two. Things are starting to settle a little bit. We don't have as many upsets, but we still have some surprises and a bunch of interesting games to look at. So let's jump right into this. First up, Yale does what you would expect the defending national champion to do when trying to replicate a magical season from a year ago. They opened with a loss to Villanova last year. Yale jumped out to an early lead yesterday prior to allowing Villanova to flip the script and remind us that parity in college across this year is totally real and no one's immune, not even the TD Erlen-powered beasts of Yale. Bright spot for Yale, Jackson Morrill's two goals and three assists. They needed someone to step up and play the pimp daddy role after graduating Ben Reeves, and Morrill, I said, was going to be that guy, and it appears he is actually going to be that guy for Yale. And one of my keys to success for Yale, it was how was uh, Jack Starr going to play in cage? He, I, I kind of said he needed to be above 50% for Yale to be able to repeat or to even have a chance to repeat. He was not... 50% yesterday. He was in the 47 to 48 range, which, which which was about his average last year, but they had a better defense in front of him. So he's going to have to be a little bit better, as is the Yale defense overall. Duke had questions coming into the season. The big one, how are they going to replace Justin Gutterding? How are they going to live in a world without Justin Gutterding? And I think they got some answers to those questions uh, yesterday against Denver. Joe Robertson and his three goals provided Duke the spark they needed to climb back into the game after going down early. It looked like Denver might route them. They didn't, and Robertson was a big reason why. And late in the game, when they need an answer, Joey Manown steps up and shuts the door on Denver's hopes of pulling off a tough win on the road by scoring with seven, seven seconds left on the clock. Huge goal late in the game for Manown, and it was just a lucky bounce. He'll take that lucky bounce. Duke will take that lucky bounce, and uh, Duke kind of rebounds. They had a bad loss to High Point earlier in the season, and this, this win is big for them uh, at home. Big note, Duke kept my boy Ethan Walker totally off the scoreboard. There were times I wasn't even sure he was playing. Austin French didn't play for Denver, so that's that plays in their offensive efforts coming up short a little bit. Ellis Geis was good for two goals and a helper for the Pioneers, though, in the loss. Brad Smith, who has been hobbled, he finally flashed signs of his old self, went for two goals and an assist, as did Manown. So Duke looked shaky at first, but they ended up buttoning things up and got a big win out of, uh, out of it in the end. Penn State continued on their quest to put fear in the hearts of any team foolish enough to step on the field with them by pummeling Stony Brook. They showed that they have their weapons everywhere on the field, fully loaded. They got another ridiculous performance out of their goalkeeper, Kobe Kinnis, who is going to be a first-team All-American, mark my words. Mac O'Keefe tore it up for seven damn goals, so he shows that Grant Amen isn't the only player that can trash on people for Penn State. O'Keefe is perfectly capable of doing so himself and Amat he continued his welcome back tour by going one and four on the day you throw in Jack Kelly's hat trick I could go on and on there's just too many scores to mention Penn State offensively is lethal and with Kobe Canise backing a very good defense these guys are go they're going to keep rolling uh, is my my assumption 
Brendan Nickturn's late game winner helped propel Army to a 10-9 win over Rutgers, and his three goal and one assist output certainly didn't hurt. Army now has two single-digit wins over UMass and Rutgers, and by the way the Patriot League looks, they're going to need all of the non-league games they can get uh, as the Patriot League is just starting to pan out and look brutal. Every non-league win helps them with their confidence a little bit. It helps keep their playoff hopes alive because you cannot make it to the playoffs when you play in a tough league like the Patriot if you're going to drop non-league games. So 2-0 and so far. Hopefully that, that losing record last year was a fluke and Army is able to put it together this season. Speaking of goalkeepers, Maryland had a question mark in the cage coming into the season, and so far Danny Dolan has panned out. The Maryland goalkeeper had another strong showing for the Terps, saving 60% of the shots he faced on cage, and he was really the bump that Maryland needed to get this one-goal win over Penn. Maryland has just been eking out wins, and Dolan has been key in in these single-goal victories. The Quakers jumped out to an early lead, and it took Maryland some time to get their legs under them. Logan Wisnowskis ended up being an animal, going for four goals and two helpers in the win, and Jared Bernhardt flipped those numbers and went two and four on the day, and uh, that was too much for Penn to handle in the end. Maryland's fan base, they're probably tired of these closer-than-normal games, but trust me, the Terps are going to be fine, and these close wins are going to be huge down the road for them and for the growth of this team as they get used to playing without Kelly. Holy hell, Pat Spencer has put the lacrosse world on blast. He is the best player in the country. We get it, Pat. You don't have to keep reminding us, unless you're doing so while torching Hopkins like their defense was a bunch of children and you were their much older asshole cousin hellbent on coming to town to torture them. I liked that part a lot. Between the two behind-the-back feeds, the sniping from outside, the textbook dive towards the end of the game, the kid... He's just completely unstoppable. Watch out for Pat Spencer. I was originally kind of trying to give the nod uh, for player of the year to my boy, Jeff T at Cornell, and I was stupid. Pat Spencer right now, he owns that title as the best player in the country. He's earning it. He looks like a man among boys out there. But his support staff should also really scare everyone. Chase Scanlon, four and two. John Duffy, Hattrick, Kevin Lindley, four goals. With those guys playing the way they did and Spencer going for three goals and four helpers, holy shit. Loyola is going to be scary. I didn't even mention Jacob Stover in cage because he only stopped the ball at a 50% clip yesterday. So he was pedestrian in cage for Loyola by his own standards. So while he's hanging at 55 to 60%, though, forget about it. If he's better than 55%, Loyola is always going to be close and in a game. Kyle Marr, he got off for five goals in a dish. Joey Epstein was the only other bright spot in an otherwise terrible day for Hopkins. He goes three and three, and that was a good way for him to start his career at Homewood. And ass-beating at the hands of the Hounds, though, not so much. Cuse, they hosted Albany at the Dome, and they get revenge on the Danes as they bounce back from a tough loss last weekend, thanks to Brad Voigt just trashing on Albany for six goals and a helper. Cuse got big play from sophomore midfielder Brendan Curry. Tucker Dordovic, gone for the season, and last week against Colgate, Syracuse's midfielders, they couldn't get any separation. It was a completely different story yesterday. Syracuse's midfielders trashed on the defensive midfield unit of Albany. They had no answer. Curry goes for two goals and three assists. Jamie Tremboli was tough for them to bottle up, so overall, Syracuse's defense had a much better showing, as did their attack unit. 
Uh, to note, Rafis still doesn't look great, and I'm not sure if he's just still hobbled and just trying to get along. In a game like yesterday, it didn't matter. He let the game come to him, but still, him him not factoring into the scoreboard could be alarming for Syracuse, but I'm going to posit that he's just injured, and eventually he's going to pick it up and get back. Big factor in the game is Syracuse's new goalkeeper, Drake Porter. To be honest, Syracuse hasn't had very good goalie play the last handful of years, and through two games, Porter has been strong. That's a very good sign for Syracuse, assuming their defense can handle their off-ball issues. They are terrible off-ball. That didn't factor in the Albany game because Albany couldn't couldn't get any separation and they didn't draw any slides, but... Porter playing tough and cage for Syracuse, this could be huge because he really did. He had a lot of excellent doorstop saves, a lot of saves on some really good outside shots. Albany can shoot the ball, but Porter, when when Albany did get looks, Porter looked excellent and he was up to the task. Dehogan Nanakoke was totally bottled up. He only scores two goals on the day, both in the first half. He actually looked disinterested at times. He appeared to have an ankle issue, so that may have been playing, and Syracuse beat the ever-living hell out of him in the second half. But he did. He looked he looked hobbled. He looked out of shape. He looked a little bit overweight. And that may all have been a factor uh, of him missing fall ball. So we'll see how that goes. The big question coming into the season, though, was, was could Patterson, Eccles, and company help DeHoga by replacing some of the dodging that Fields gave them? Obviously, they can't replace Fields and his dodging ability. But could these guys get separation? The answer yesterday was an unequivocal no. They did almost nothing to help DeHoga out. Syracuse's defense looked tough. Now, I'm hoping that this means that Syracuse's defense is just really good, but it could also mean that that whole question mark of are these guys going to be able to dodge and create on offense without a guy like Fields, the answer just may be no. It it looks bad for Albany. It looked good for Syracuse's defense. It ends up being the Michael Krause show on Saturday as Virginia got a bounce back win over Lehigh. Dox Aiken also showed with two goals and two helpers. Alex Rode, who looked terrible uh, in week one against Loyola, he ends up playing really tough in cage for the Cavs and he saves the ball at above a 50% clip. That's all you can ask of a goalkeeper these days. So Rode, if he can keep playing like that, that's a good sign for Virginia. In the end, the Cavs need to be better. They were playing a Lehigh team that was missing attackmen, missing two of their leading scorers from last season to injury, one of them out for the season. Defensively, Lehigh looked tough. Their zone defense gave Virginia troubles in the first half, and Virginia came out and and netted a buttload of goals in the second half. So that's important. When you're playing against a veteran team on defense like Lehigh and they play a zone, that's going to make things rough. My my question always becomes, how are you going to respond to that zone defense in the second? And Tillman obviously came out with a good plan in the second half that the players were able to execute. Kraus was big in the second half and in factoring uh, how Virginia was able to, to, to start trashing on that zone defense a little bit. Andy Matthews helps the Tar Heels to a win over Harvard thanks to his one goal and three helpers. Tanner Cook and Justin Anderson each chipped in hat-tricks in the UNC win. UNC's quietly going about their business now, and they're 3-0 in non-league play. This is huge for them. Early losses have hurt their postseason hopes in the past, and they've none of those yet. You know who does, though? Duke, Syracuse, and Virginia. So this is a big deal for UNC. They may not have played anyone of note yet, but they're winning, and that's all that matters And when, cause, because when you get down to the ACC, they're going to beat each other up. So it's important for all of these ACC teams to handle their business and not drop more than a single non-league contest. 